0: This is episode 132 of the 200 Churches
1: Podcast. That humility that says that I'm in the same boat as all these other people. I'm no better. We're on an even playing field. We're all sick people and we need a doctor. And Jesus is our doctor. The more that if we start to think we're the well people and they're the sick people, if we start to have that distinction in our head... We're probably not going to end up in a very good spot. Always good to hold on to that call that Jesus gives us to humility.
2: Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry, the Hall & Oats of ministry podcast, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. And I am here with my long-haired hippie freak podcast partner. I think he's talking to you, Dion. <laughs> Dion Weenia. <laughs> no, Johnny Gray. <laughs> no, Dion, Dion is all of that. He is all of that except for the I long hair. You did have hair. a mullet.
1: You did have a mullet? When I got married, I had a mullet. I
2: like
0: that.
1: Dion
2: doesn't really my, strike
1: me as a hippie. I keep on threatening my kids
0: that I'm going to bring it back. I think you should. <laughs> I think you should. The mullet will have its day again. It's
1: inevitable. Well... Anyway. I think it's already happening.
0: Uh, I actually think you're right. I do see baseball players. I see with them sometimes.
1: I saw um, an article that said in Paris on the runways that the models had mullets.
2: There you go. The mullet is back. I'm excited. The, the The truth is, Jeff was so like nerdy and ministerial back when the mullets were around. I I really don't even know what a mullet is. is that where it's like short in the front and longer well, it's, in the back. It's
0: business in the front, party in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Oh, business in the front and party business in, in the, the front, back. Front, Party in the back. That's the mullet. Johnny, you've Go. always got the. You've always got like the, <laughs> the news to
0: use. That's well you know. known. That's come on. Go watch the MacGyver, and then you'll see a mullet in it,
2: full display. If you had a mullet, would you likely drive a charger? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I do have something. You do have a little bit of that in you. (laughs) Something in the back of my brain. I never had a mullet. In fact, that the like you,
0: you'd wear like a like a denim shirt with cut off sleeves, probably. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: Is it kind of like the cable guy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. A little bit.
1: A little bit. That's more redneckish. Yeah. (laughs) Mullets and redneck can go together. It's Um, like a Venn diagram. Wait. Wait. wait, Time out. Mullet and and redneck.
2: Dion, we don't really say. Redneck. You don't have to be a redneck to have a
0: mullet, <laughs> and you don't have to have a mullet, mullet to be do. a redneck. But exactly. there's certainly crossover. Oh, yeah. man. There's so, a sweet spot of both. I mean, I'm
1: with you there. Yeah. Where, where'd you grow up? <laughs> South Dakota. That you could be a redneck in South Dakota. Uh,
2: I suppose you could be, but
1: see, that's a I very grew
0: country Western York. group over there. I
2: grew up in New York State, so I don't ever use the term redneck because it could be thought of as condescending. Oh, you are me. an
0: East Coast elite. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah definitely. I never
2: I mean, we were Hicks. <laughs> we were Hicks in Western New York. You know, we lived out in the in the Boons. There you go. But anyway, I like that. I like that little color. I like a little color in our conversation.
0: Now we're gonna get emails from those redneck pastors. Just oh so man! Us. But we've
2: got we've got a lot of pastors from the south. That hey, listen I'm Billy to us. Bob, and
0: I don't even appreciate you talking about backwoods. Is it
2: is okay. it bad that I just said people from the south? Yeah, you can't say that because not all rednecks are from the south,
1: right? That's very true.
2: I think there's plenty of South Dakota rednecks. We just, Dion, are you one? I might be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listener alienation continues. You might be a redneck church if you listen to Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck church. There you go. That's the truth. There you go. Yeah. Well,
0: I've heard a lot of them. There you go.
1: I've resembled a few of them too.
2: (laughs) Oh, I gotta focus my mind here. Get back on it, Jeff. It's going back to get back on it. The women in Jeff Foxworthy's cartoons. Oh, (laughs) I don't want to go there. Uh, Okay, Dion. for those who didn't listen to last week's episode... Turn this off, go back and listen to you, it. Yeah, you really need to go back No, you to, don't need to. We'll be on something. I mean, we'll go further. Yeah, this, but... It, okay, well, these are standalones, yes. But if you go back to episode 131 and listen to our first episode with Deon he's he is a counselor and he works with boards and with churches. And he has 18 kids. Eight, Did I say no, that eight. right? Eight kids. Just eight. Just eight. Okay. Just eight. Don't exaggerate. yeah Eight is enough. Just eight. You know, eight <laughs> is enough. Exactly. <laughs> mullet. <laughs> <laughs> Same generation, right? Um, yeah, so go back and listen to that episode if you'd like. But we're going to continue. And and this week, uh, is there anything you need to add here, Johnny? I feel like we're jumping jumping right into the I've been, I've been the adding content.
0: throughout already, haven't I, with the mullet jokes? and uh, That's
2: true. Yeah. We've already gone off the... Deep end here, huh? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Last episode, I got... See, I get all excited with our guests. I get too excited, and I start talking fast, and people are like, where's the slowdown button on this podcast? Uh, Dion, did you
2: you're... take
1: your medicine this morning. I, I did not. take my... <laughs> Oh oh oh! By the way,
2: by the way, you could remember that thought. Remember that thought. The I medicine was, thought, or I,
1: I was listening several. Sorry to disrupt.
2: Like two two months ago, uh, or more, uh, uh, Nathan Stobb Nathan Stobb was on yeah. our on our podcast. Good guy, and he said when I told him that I provided you with a refrigerator filled with Diet Coke.
0: Yeah, I, which I, I've had
2: two of today. Right? I laughed so hard when I was editing that when I heard this in my ears. He says, Oh, that's why Johnny's over here all hopped up on Diet Coke. That's right. I am. <laughs> just when he said hopped up. Just I'm all just, hopped up. You are. You are. I had, all I had two
0: cups of coffee this morning. I'm on my second Diet Coke. Oh, man. So if you can keep up with me, I'm going to be talking pretty fast today, Dion. No. <laughs> I get all excited with our guests, and I like deep down. I would like to do a theology podcast, but nobody would listen. This is not a theology podcast, but we got into this some is issues. Very theological. It is theological, just not controversially theological. I don't. I hope. I don't know. We're we, not
2: splitting doctrinal pairs, right?
0: So we got into the 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 idea that w- what you're talking about, the reconciliation, working with churches to be uh, reconciled communities, is a gospel issue, right? Because because. The gospel is not saying the sinner's prayer in and Jesus into in your heart. The gospel is living out this newness of life in Jesus Christ through trust-filled relationships. Jeff, you said this week you wanted to talk specifically about some other issues, and I don't remember the first
2: one. Well, he's he talks with boards and pastors yes. and reconciliation issues. And, and like you said, Dion, uh, in the last episode, you said when you're asked, right, and that a lot of churches, they never get there. They never get to the point of of asking. And the problem in leadership circles just it just keeps going around and around. They they might it's like the whack a mole. You know, they get it. They push that one down, but then that same problem just surfaces in a, in another area. And I especially like what you said when you talked about. When you don't have a trusting relationship, now you've got this this culture and this context of mistrust, so that like a, a two level problem looks 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 like an eight or a nine level problem because of that context of mistrust. So if I'm a small church pastor and I've got four people on my board, and I just can't seem to get any initiatives off the ground because, you know, to understand what I'm saying, one is ambivalent, and the other one is always just kind of always in opposition to me. Uh, What are some things I should be thinking about? You know, how, how should I be thinking about this problem church board and about my frustrations at the things that I know God wants our church to do not being able to happen?
1: well the f- the first thing that we are tempted to do is look at a person and say that's my problem. One of my favorite Bible teachers is famous for saying uh, there isn't anything wrong with this church that a few funerals wouldn't fix <laughs> and I think most pastors have felt that way because yeah, people can be difficult to work with, and that's just a very true thing and I'm not saying that just doing the doing good things is going to change someone's personality. That may happen, may not happen, but what is our calling in the middle of that is what we're looking at as pastors. How do we love well in a situation where someone isn't too lovable? And looking at, okay, how do I build trust with a person? How do I work with someone in such a way as to say, where do I see God working in them? Uh, How do I know their story? Again, that's not necessarily to say that someone's going to be healthy um, in the end when we do that, but what it does is it does something inside of us that we become clear on what the issues are. Because a lot of times when we're working with someone who's difficult— uh, we start to see them as an enemy or demonize them, like this person's the bad person. But when we get to know them, when we think about it, when we handle things by trying to find that trust, what we, do, we clarify, okay, what actually is it? Because a lot of times when a person is being difficult, there's something in their life where they have a problem or they have a place in their life that's very scary to them. It provides a lot of anxiety to them. And it's in the middle of that anxiety that their walk with Christ would best be served by learning how to trust, to trust him with their story. And you would be able to see that at that point, rather than just saying, this is a bad person, You may be able to see that this person has, you know, this spot in their life that scares them to death. And it's a spot that they have a hard time submitting to um, God and saying, God, whatever you need to do in this part of my life, do it. Instead of that, people often say, This is a part of my life that, you know, I'm trying to make go away and get rid of. And, People aren't even thinking about bringing that to God or that that's part of the discipleship process is bringing this really hard area to him. And as a pastor, you're trying to help people with their discipleship process. And so helping them face something like that, you'll never know that that's an issue unless you find out about them.
2: Do you think that there's a conflict between being a strong leader and being somebody who, and I'm not sure what exactly what word to use, but who will negotiate with a problem, quote-unquote, a problem person in the church. Um, is there a conflict there? Can you be a strong leader and also um, uh, negotiate and compromise on some of the things that you want to do? Uh, maybe you're not strong, but can you be a good leader? and still I, negotiate and compromise. Well, I
1: think to be a good leader, you have to negotiate and compromise. Okay. You have to look for, you know, it's like Blackabee's materials and experiencing God that you look for where God is moving and you join him in it. If we have ideas that aren't going along with um what the the group that we have together in our church, they're probably not going to go very far. Um, when we find out what God is doing in people's lives in our churches, we can get somewhere because it's where people live. It's where theology meets reality. You had Bill Thrall on the the program a while back, and um, that's one thing that he talks about quite a bit is where theology meets reality is where this happens.
0: I'm thinking about if we... I think what Jeff was just saying, right? Negotiate and compromise, and those somehow have become negative, nasty words. To compromise is a bad, and I, th- I go back to I blame you know I blame the government for everything. But I go back to thinking you know we've learned how to treat each other from the way that our government treats itself, and that's poor. And that we have Congress people and senators and whatever who say to compromise on anything is. It's like they say out loud to compromise is evil, and then you read a, a piece of legislation, and you realize the whole thing is a compromise. Um, but I think that if as pastors we take that type of mentality into it, we're not CEOs, we're not we're shepherds, not CEOs. Maybe is what I'm trying to say, and we're not pushing agendas forward. And I like what you say about joining in where God is moving. It it reminds me of a story that I think I might have told it before, but my wife and I knew uh, knew a young lady who was in college, and she wanted to start a Bible study in her dorm, which is a great thing to start a Bible study in your dorm. And she passed out flyers all over the place, and she comes to the first night of this Bible study, and about 15 international students showed up to the Bible study. Uh, And she was so confused and disheartened that these students had showed up to the Bible study because she wanted to do a Bible study for, I how do you say it, people like her. Mm-hmm. And she did it another week, and these students come back, and she eventually stopped doing the Bible study. Um, and it was bizarre to me to think that you would stop doing the Bible study. Well, why? it's because It's because she had an agenda to put forward, and God presented a situation, but that situation was not according to her agenda, and she didn't, she couldn't take it. She didn't like it. She couldn't handle it. She didn't want that to happen. And I think as leaders in churches, we probably do this a lot, where we come in with an agenda, and instead of asking the right kinds of questions about what's God doing, where's God moving, um, we instead come in with an agenda of change. I could keep on talking forever about that, but I, I just think that that's an interesting idea— And it gets me to something that I've wanted to talk about since last episode, which is how expectations create conflict, which is something you and I had lunch one day, and you sketched out this whole thing on a napkin, and I thought, based on this, I should never have another argument with my wife again, uh, because now I understand where they come from, and now knowledge is power, right? So
1: how many times have you had an argument with your wife Look, Dion, I don't want
0: to get into this, but (laughs) 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 uh, maybe one or two, Uh, Uh. but... But you, I remember you talked about when we have expectations of people, so agenda, expectation, however you want to say it, that's where the conflict starts to arise. And I could see this same thing could definitely happen in a church, couldn't it?
1: Uh, I think it happens all the time. You know, you use the word agenda, and we have lots of agendas. Some of those agendas are wonderful types of agendas. The problem is that those things get held above the place yeah, where it's not healthy anymore. Um, in James 4, at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about what causes fights and quarrels among you. Doesn't it come from the desires that battle within you? And we all have desires. We're, we're created with a desire for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for being significant, for making a difference in the world. We have lots of different desires like that. The hard part comes when those desires become they they cross a line at some point and they become a demand. And when those desires become a demand, there's expectations on what a person will do if they're a good person, if they're a good Christian, if they are uh if they care about me, that kind of thing. Expectations, yeah, that they're not necessarily bad things. But when they're not met, when a person doesn't do what we think they should do, What do we do with it? And that's where we get ourselves into trouble because from those um, disappointments when someone does not meet my expectation, what do I do next? Because I have the opportunity to work with them or I have the opportunity to judge them. And if I basically say they're not on board with what this church needs to do or I say um, this person is basically selfish... They don't care about other people. They won't work with me. Um, they're not respectful. Whatever label we use, we we get into a judgment. And that judgment is like a top-down type of judgment where I have a, more, a better uh, footing morally than this person does because I'm doing something that is good and right and true, and they're doing something that is not good and right or true. And so, you know... Basically, they need to be either withdrawn from or attacked, what they're trying to do. And when I do that, what goes out the window at that moment is I no longer have to live by First Corinthians 13. I no longer have to love them well. I don't have to be patient and kind and not rude and not proud and not boastful. You know, I give myself permission because, to not do those things because of what they've done. And that's where we get into trouble with expectations.
0: When you put it on the napkin at lunch, I thought, did not my heart burn within me when he described it? Like, I just hear you describing every conflict I've ever had in my life. I mean, and I'm serious, is that I felt like I had the morally superior because the expectations and all that. This is where it crosses into theology for me. We And this goes back to what I just said about not being CEOs. I don't think that as people, in, as fallen people, I don't think that we have the ability to rise above this on our own. To me, this is new creation, Jesus Christ stuff. To be able to recognize those thoughts and feelings and say, I am going to love the person more than I care about my expectations. I'm going to love the person more than I care about my own agenda, more than I love myself. That is, like, that's the Jesus love. That's discipleship. And that's so hard. Like, I want discipleship to be, like, giving you a bunch of information so then you can go out and, and be a better Christian. But what you're talking about, that's – we don't – look, I'm just going to say it. We don't want to do that because it's way more painful. It requires dying to self. It requires emptying out and saying, uh, I I care about somebody else more than I care about myself or my agenda – Dion, that's so stinking hard to do, but you nailed it. And if you're listening and you didn't feel burning, okay, maybe Dion needs to say it again, because it's what you said. That is where conflict comes from. I remember this is the same way I felt when he wrote it on the napkin. When Jeff called you, I said, tell him he has to talk about what we talked about on the napkin. And you said, I don't, what napkin? And then I said, the expectations and conflict, and you knew right away, so... Anyways, ask a question, because I don't ask questions. I just make statements.
2: So, again, I'm thinking of pastors. I'm thinking of the pastor who has been attacked. Maybe it was a level 1 attack. Maybe it was a level 10 attack. It was probably more like a 3. And, and this pastor is reacting. Uh, he or she is reacting on the inside. How, how dare they... I remember probably 13 years ago when a couple just attacked my pastoral aura. I mean, they, they said things about me. They were, you know, passing information, false information about me, saying things. About, and I thought the first thing I thought to myself was, you know, I loved all three of their children through the youth groups that I had. As as a youth pastor, I loved and cared for all three of their children, and they are now attacking me.
1: I felt like I cared for their family well. Yeah. And this is what I get.
2: This is what I get from them. They are crud to me. So I was reacting, but reacting very strongly. And And the truth is, about two to three years after that, that couple got a divorce. And the truth is that their that their, you know, tirade about me had nothing to do with me and had everything to do with them. Did I see it at the time to say hurting people hurt people? All you saw was red. All I saw was the knife in my back and yeah. the blood dripping down my shirt. Um and so Uh, Dion, you talk about loving well. Talk about reacting. Talk about reacting because I had a friend tell me, Jeff, in leadership, you cannot react to people. I didn't understand that for years. So talk about that for a little bit.
1: When we react, we generally react out of a place in ourselves that's not good. The old saying that when sin is done against us, it awakens sin within us. We have to know that when we are attacked that there's something that rises up in us that's not pretty either. And our responses at that moment are probably responses that have more to do with making things right or, you know, defending myself or things like that than it does with being purposeful. And so, you know, what do you do with that? How do you take something where you're so hurt and deal well with it. And it has to do a lot more with perspective than most anything else, because if we have our expectations and the disappointments that come from it, you know, our, yeah, our perspective is I'm out here on my own. These people are attacking me and I have to figure out what to do. And instead of that perspective, switching to a perspective that says that, nothing happens to me apart from going through my father's hands first. Not that he caused it, not that, you know, that kind of thing, getting into the theological part. Um, But that for some reason, God in his sovereignty allowed this matter to come into my life, for these people to feel the way they feel about me, whatever, whatever. So what do I do with that? What does it look like to trust the one who loves me most, trust God with this situation that comes up? And there's three perspectives that I generally teach people to to kind of work through and to think about. And the first one is that I'm God's kid. And am I really God's kid? You know, he, he loves me, and he has done everything for me, he's paid everything for me, and he can't love me any more than he already loves me. What would be different if I knew that was true as I faced this situation? That he still liked me, even when these people didn't. And then I go to the second one, is that God gives good gifts to his kids. Scripture says that uh, all things work together for good, for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. It says that you, though you are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to his kids? So the second perspective is God gives his kids good gifts. So that when we run into a conflict, what would it look like for me to really believe that this conflict is a gift or this attack? may somehow be a gift for me, and what would be different in me if I really believed that that were true. And then the third perspective um, that I teach people is the perspective of that God could change anything at any time, that he has enough power to, yeah, that person could be dead. like We could have a funeral. Um, But he doesn't necessarily change that part of things that God doesn't intervene that way. But he still says, I could change this at any time. And my goal here for you is not for you to change the situation. My goal here for you is for you to learn to trust me in the situation. And that's what I want for you more than anything. And I, I believe that's what God says to us through those perspectives, that God loves that I'm his kid. He loves his kids. Um, Number two, that he gives good gifts to his kids. And number three, that he can change anything at any time. And if I really believe those thing, three things are true, how would I approach this situation? That I have nothing to protect, that I have nothing to prove, that God's my protector, that he's going to watch over me, that I have no agenda but love, to figure out what that looks like in a situation. How do you love in a situation like this, how do you do that well? How do you do um, the fruits of the spirit? How do you do a First Corinthians thirteen in that situation, bringing those attacks into that perspective and saying, "You know what? I don't want to react. I don't want to act out of my own anxiety when I'm when I'm attacked. I want to act out of the confidence that I'm God's kid that." He gives good gifts to his kids, even stuff like this, that these are the raw materials of of my life that he allows to have happen and that he could change them at any time. And so bringing that perspective in to help us not react
2: to those attacks. So pastors, when when you do get attacked, I would imagine, because this is how I feel, and I, I kind of put myself into a situation that I was actually in a year and a half ago while you were talking, Dion, and I thought, okay, how did I feel when when I was getting attacked, and you know, members of my staff were getting attacked, and and essentially all of our elders were were called into question and, and under attack. I felt threatened. I felt threatened. I felt like, how far is this person going to take this, and what is the end result going to be? How, how much like collateral damage? Is there going to be here? And what you just described about, about understanding that God loves me and that God gives good gifts and that, that God is ultimately the one who's, who's in control in terms of what do I trust? You know, when I feel threatened, who, who do I trust? What do I trust? And, you know, again, when you were on last week, the, one of the first things you brought up was uh, trust in a relationship. And that if in leadership you don't have the trust of those you're leading, uh, all kinds of bad things can happen. But in our relationship with God, as we're going through difficulties and as we're experiencing attacks from people, do we have that trust in a God who's over it all? Or are we trusting in ourselves to be able to withstand the barrage from a person or a situation? So I,
1: I Yeah, think... or to figure out what to do with it. But yeah, the, that relationship with God is primary. You know, Scripture tells us that we love because He first loved us. Because we're not going to react well to most situations if we don't go back to the basic fact that He's watching over me. As David went back to over and over again in the Psalms, you know, God protect me. You're my rock. You're my fortress. Do we try to take things into our own hands? Yeah, we do. And it's not bad for us to want to figure out what's what's a good thing to do in this situation. That's not what we're saying here is um, to try to figure out what to do in a situation. But is that coming from a place of fear or a place of being threatened and what's going to happen to the church and what's going to happen to this and what's going to happen to that? The more that we bring those things in, the more we're not going to handle it well. The more we bring in, you know, this is God's church. God allowed this situation for whatever reason, and it's for us to deal with, and it's for us to deal with well. That's when we can handle it the best we can. I'm not saying it's going to turn out the way we think it should turn out, but that's allowing God to to do what he needs to do in a situation and saying, I'm not going to blow it up even more by adding to doing the same things. I'm not going to—they're acting out of their anxiety, maybe. I'm not going to act out of my own anxiety.
0: Now, uh, we have only a couple minutes left, and I'm remembering that last uh, week Jeff said he wanted to get into the soul care of the pastor. But— I'm going to say without talking about it, we've been talking about we, it. Yeah, we, and that, exactly.
2: We actually have in the last, you know, seven, eight minutes we have been. Yeah, exactly. But we can talk about it for another two or three minutes. And again, you know, I go back to the pastor who's uh, who's a leader. Let's say this time the pastor's been, been around for, let's say, 10, 15 years. And at this point, that pastor feels like he or she has built that trust or has earned that trust, whether or not they have it from all the people. Now, let's say that there's uh, there's some problems that kind of take that pastor by surprise. They're like, I, you know, I've been around here for a while, man. People ought to trust me. What is wrong with them? You know what? How how dare they? You know, keep... what's the attitude? What what's the attitude that that pastor should take? I mean, how, how does that pastor handle after being around for 10 or 15 years, still having people maybe that have been there for the whole time still question their authority, question their wisdom, question their decision-making?
1: And that's going to happen. We feel like, okay, we've put all this effort into this. We've tried to care for people well, all this stuff, and now it seems like it's falling apart. It's that's human nature. Things don't go automatically smoothly just because we have felt like we have put in all our time. And so human nature is not going to change. And as soon as we start to think, you know, I've done this, how dare they? Or um, how could they do this? That's not going to get us where we want to go because it's just not dealing with reality. Reality is... That what they're doing with me at that point as a pastor, I've probably done in my history with someone else too. And that's where humility comes in, that humility that says, I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know why they're thinking what they're thinking, but I know that they're thinking something and it's not what I thought was going to happen. It's not what I wanted to have happen. What do I going to do with it?
2: Is it time to go
1: back to the basics? It always goes back to the basics. <laughs> okay. humility, right. <laughs> humility and trust. Okay, That humility that says that I'm in the same boat as all these other people. I'm no better. Um, we're on an even playing field. We're all sick people, and we need a doctor. And Jesus is our doctor. And the more that if we start to think we're the well people and they're the sick people— if we start to have that distinction in our head, we're probably not going to end up in a very good spot. It's always good to hold on to that, you know, that call that Jesus gives us to humility, which he gives us over and over again. in Paul's writings in the New Testament, you know, just all over Scripture, it talks about the need for humility, the need for not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but considering ourselves with sober judgment about doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain vain conceit, but in humility, considering others above ourselves, that we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, how the whole example of Christ was an example of humility. It's just going back to that and saying, look, it's not about what I've created. It's not about what I've done. How do I follow God and what, what I have in front of me? For whatever reason, whether or not I agree that it should be happening, how do I trust the one who loves me most that this is where I need to be right now and this is what I need to deal with?
2: Now, I want to speak to the pastor who thinks that this guy Dion that he he or she has been listening to is a little touchy-feely, a little soft in the leadership department, a little squishy, I mean, you've got you to gotta be decisive when you're a leader. You know, as people get in the way sometimes, you need to move them out of the way for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom. You need to cut your losses. You need to, you need to go with those who are going and not hang out with those who are just kind of just, you know, they just want to stay in the past. Okay, for, for you pastors who think Dion isn't strong enough in terms of encouraging you to make those vital decisions and take the organization forward, Stop it. Just stop, stop it. it. Just stop it. Because you need to hear these three words, humility, love, and trust. And I'm saying you need to hear those three words, and you need to think about those three words because I've had to. Because I've gotten into situations where you have somebody in front of you, and you're like, what in the world, man? what What's wrong with you? Why? Let's just go. Let's just get going here. Why are you questioning? And you got to go back to, like you said, Danny. You're always going back to the basics. I mean, it's all about the basics. Um, we we put love first, right? And, right. Mm-hmm. And and of course, then then that humility is just a byproduct of it. It's well, born it, out it, of it. It's
1: probably the only way we can love well is by not um, feeling like we're above someone.
2: Yeah. Very well said. And and then the trust piece. Mm-hmm do we trust god or do we not and we haven't even gotten into the inter into the relationships with others where we talk about you know do i trust me with you and that's maybe another podcast episode for the future yes um go ahead
1: um just on that leadership part you know what what this is about is not necessarily saying you can't make decisions and there aren't decisions to make this is this is the foundation out of which to make decisions. Right. Uh, because if we don't have the foundation, if we don't have it fairly solid, if we're not built on that rock, the decisions we make will probably bring us to a place we don't want to end up.
2: So you can ask that board member to step down
1: two different ways. Mm-hmm. You could, o- out of your fear? In a reaction. Right. Or out of this is what I believe to be true, and this is what I I believe God's calling me to, and I'm going to love him well as I do it.
2: Excellent. You know, I listen to podcasts sometimes, and I think, oh, we should have said this, we should have said that, and he can't ever say it all. But what you just said right there was that's really key. That is key.
1: And people aren't always going to respond well. I've had situations where I've been in church leadership where I've had to confront people and they didn't take it well. So I'm not saying that if you yeah. do it right, everybody's going to be like, oh, you're wonderful. It's, it's not a pretty thing. But you can sleep at night. I can sleep at night because yeah. I feel like I was respectful. I feel like I said what I needed to say, that I was clear that I wasn't reacting out of my anxiety so much. Not to say that I never do, but you know, I have to check where I'm at.
0: Dion um, these two episodes have been great and I hope that we have a chance to get you back on soon um, lunch with you that it's funny that Jeff rings up lunch nine years ago you must leave quite the impression at lunch because uh, I actually did remember our conversation but lunch uh, a couple months ago uh, we started this conversation and today it was just a continuation I think it's I think it's great and I think all the pastors men and women listening I uh, you should have gotten something out of this. If you didn't, you know, stop it, start it again, and listen. Because just, it was, just stop it. Stop it, yeah. <laughs> it was good because this was really good content. Dion, thanks so much for being with us today. And thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast.
2: We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guys' free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new, shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church.